Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't forget to follow us on our Facebook page, Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Or on Twitter at at Broadway Curtain. And on Instagram at Broadway Curtain. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. Our guest this week is no stranger to Broadway audiences. Not only did she win the 1990 Tony Award for her brilliant performance as not one, but two other women in City of Angels, she broke their hearts night after night as the first Fontaine on Broadway. As if that wasn't enough, she was also seen in such shows as A, My Name is Alice, A Class Act, <laughs> Laughter on the 23rd Floor, and Moon Over Buffalo. <laughs> to tell us what it was like to get rewrites from Neil Simon, comedy lessons from Carol Burnett, <laughs> and to sing one of the greatest Cy Coleman songs ever written. Here is Randy Graff. Hi, guys. Hi, Randy. Randy. Thanks for joining us. Thank I'm you. I'm a living legend. I, sh- <laughs> I should have a fur. <laughs> we'll get you a fur. Actually, Randy's not wearing a fur today. Can you tell us what you are wearing in uh, honor of Oh, well, Broadway you know, I Con. just came from Broadway Con where we did a Les Mis panel, and I'm actually wearing, I wish you could see it, it's the original Fontaine Locket. And it's very old. It kept breaking. They never got me a new one. So they just kept stitching this one up so it's filled with, <laughs> with tape and wire. And, and wire and, yep. But this is the first time I'm wearing it in 30 years. And I thought, oh let me gosh. wear it for Broadway Con. And yeah. they all gasped I, when I brought it out. I did, too. Well, you it's, kind of, it's very cool. It's kind of funky fashionable, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, it and it looks perfectly with, with the shirt, ensemble. Right? Oh, yeah. Thank you, boys. Yeah, that's right. 1800s. <laughs> it's very French chic. Now forget that fur jacket on you. Everything's going to look great. Retro chic. Retro chic. <laughs> where in Brooklyn did you grow up? Canarsie. Canarsie? That's how I used to talk. I oh, used yeah? to talk like that. And then my friends told me if I wanted to go into the theater, I had to learn how to speak. But I used to talk like this. And when I'm with my parents, I always talk like this because, you know, you just go back into the accent. Where? I had no R's. I mean, uh-huh. Canarsie. <laughs> now it's Canarsie. Before oh, it was Canarsie. You're fancy now. You got real I fancy. I have ours. <laughs> um, was your <laughs> was your family was your family in show business? Yes, mm. actually. 
um, the Graff cousins. It all started with <laughs> Uncle Jerry, Uncle Jerry Graff, my yeah. dad's brother, was a musical director and an arranger for the Barry sisters mm-hmm. and the Nat King. He was one of the original Pied Pipers. Oh. Um, he was the musician in the family. And whenever the Graff cousins would get together for Passover or, you know, whatever the holiday was, we would always sing. So we came up with it in the family. And my cousin Todd mm-hmm. um, was in Baby mm-hmm. on Broadway. Now he's directing. He directed, you know, Camp. Yeah. But no, there was always singing in the family. All the cousins sang. My cousin Eileen is a Broadway mm-hmm. girl. And now Eileen's daughter, Nika Graf Lanzaroni, is in the Broadway community. So it's yeah. it's, it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It's all, it came up. In the, we, yeah, I came up that Did way. Did you get a chance to go into New York and see shows while you were growing up in Canas? <sighs> the very first Broadway show I ever saw when I was about, I don't know, eight, ten, was Fiddler. I went to see Fiddler on the Roof. That was my first Broadway oh. show. Do you remember who your Tevye was? Was it? It wasn't Zero. I think it was Harry Gauze. Oh, okay. But the Graphs were not experienced, sophisticated theater goers. <laughs> so we went on a matinee, and we were in a diner. Mm-hmm. Was it at the Winter Garden? I don't remember. Yeah, I think Fiddler mm-hmm. was at the Winter Garden. We were at a diner, and it was like 2 o'clock, and we were nowhere near the lobby. Oh, but- <laughs> and nobody was outside, and somebody noticed. They looked, no, maybe we should. And we walked in, I think, around 2.15 or something. It was after <laughs> 2. We still hadn't got in. We walked in into our seats in the front mez during Matchmaker. We walked oh. in. Oh. We walked in during, because so we missed tradition. We missed the opening <laughs> oh, yeah. number. But Oops. I actually turned to my dad. I was such a kid. I turned to my dad. I said, oh, that's okay, Daddy. We'll stay again to the part we came in on. I thought it was like a movie. Like going to the, yeah, I thought it was a loop, that. like a movie. But it has such meaning for me because that was my first show. It's yeah. my favorite musical. And then I played Seidel, like um, at Pittsburgh Public Public Theater. I played Seidel um, right before Les Mis. Yeah. And then the 2004 revival, I played Golda. Wow. <laughs> so you got them all. Wow. Yeah, everybody with Grandma Seidel. Yeah. Tevya, maybe, in a couple of years. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Get you down to the Muni and we'll, we'll be Tevya. That's right. What, do you have any other shows you saw growing up besides Fiddler? When I was in college, my mom took me to a preview of Seesaw. I didn't know anything about Cy Coleman um, at that point, but all I remember was listening to her and watching her sing Nobody Does It Like Me. And I related to her because she was this Jewish girl from from the Bronx who just mm-hmm. kept screwing things up mm-hmm. and I was this Jewish girl from Brooklyn who just kept screwing things up so I just <laughs> so I just watched her that moment was seminal for me yeah. yeah that was the moment that I actually pictured myself singing on a Broadway stage when really? I heard that song that's when you, you were like this is well, it this is, it. This is what I want to do sing Michelle Lee sing Nobody Does It Like Me and and you know the total irony of it is you can always count on me. The prototype for that song is Nobody Does It Like Me. And at my callback for City of Angels, which was the first time I met Cy Coleman, he asked me to sing Nobody Does It Like Me. You know, he hadn't written Count On Me yet, but he knew that it was a song about self-deprecating humor. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he said, do you, do, you, do you know this song called Nobody Does It Like Me? And I said, oh, my God, <laughs> do I know that song? <laughs> I said, but I haven't sung it in a while, and I don't remember the lyrics. And he said, don't worry, I'll yell them out to you. So I started, this is in the callback. This is at the mm, callback, very, on very. stage at the then Virginia, yeah. now the August yeah, Wilson. And right. he, was, he just was out in the house, and he kept calling the words out to me. And it's gradually started to come back. He made his way onto the stage behind the piano and finished the song with me. 
I went home an hour later. I got the call. Were you active in, in theater um, in high school? Not so much in high school. We did something in Brooklyn called Sing, which is what Glee is kind of so based like, on. Sing! Exclamation mark! Sing, <laughs> where we would we would we would in um um create shows, original shows, and put in music of the time. So I was oh. writing them, and and it was a competition between the the sophomores, the juniors, and the seniors. So I I was the lead in sophomore Sing, and then we moved to Staten Island and I tried to get a sing started. Uh-huh. They didn't know they thought I was crazy. Yeah. But I kept going back to help write junior sing, but but not really. I I didn't start doing parts until yeah. college. What kind of music did you listen to growing up though? Streisand. Streisand. Yeah, well another Streisand. Brooklyn lady. Yeah, of course. She's, I listened to her. I I have a show called Made in Brooklyn yeah. that's yeah. that's um all the songs in the show are written by people who were born in Brooklyn. What a great idea. Yeah. Either yeah. Yeah. thanks. Yeah. Either written by or made famous by mm-hmm. people born in Brooklyn. And I tell a whole story about Barbara Streisand and how she influenced me and what it was like singing I Dreamed a Dream for her when she came to see Les Mis. Oh, I bet that was a, a an important moment in your life. Yeah, yeah. Wow. nerve wracking. Yeah. And thrilling, and also kind of comforting, because and I tell this story in my act. Mm. Um, the lights went down, and of course they ushered her in the dark, so nobody would know she was there. And she was in the fifth row on the aisle. Mm-hmm. And um, you see, that was my Brooklyn accent that just came out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on the aisle. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when I talk about Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I just go right there. <laughs> but um, yeah, fifth row on the aisle, and she was wearing a pink Angora beret. Oh I remember gosh. this. And she was all kind of cuddled, not sitting regular, regularly, yeah. and just kind of cuddled up. And uh, I came out. I, I, I scoped her at the be- you know, a little bit at the beginning. And then I came out. And when you sing I Dreamed a Dream in that production, you're really, really downstage. Mm-hmm. And I could. she was so close to me. And I sang it. And somewhere in the middle, I just calmed down because I realized that I, I just quiet, had this quiet confidence about me because mm-hmm. I realized that deep down underneath all of her fame, she was just a Jewish girl from Brooklyn. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so I was able to calm down and sing the song. But then but then in act two, in the barricades, every Fontaine has to play a boy at the barricades, That's right? right? Yeah, so bullet I, boy. Mm-hmm. This, because the actors didn't have any lines because it was so noisy on stage from the cannons and mm-hmm. the music and... They used to turn the actors' mics off, mm-hmm. so th- so our company used to yell out things that had absolutely nothing, nothing to <laughs> like do with the revolution. Do. Like you do, just like I'm calling in set <laughs> next week. <laughs> Meet me at Kodama <laughs> after the matinee. that's how we used to blow off a little steam so I would yell out Barbara Streisand do you hear the people sing we're the luckiest people in the world that's how I communicated with her. Never met her. <laughs> she didn't come back. Shouted her name on the to barricades. Talk to Pierre. Oh man. How could she not talk to Ooh. Pierre? That's an insult. She had the beret on too that I day. Know. I mean, <laughs> I know she was. Be- you know, is, do you think that's why she wore the beret? You know, I, just as I was, was saying, because she was going to the French she musical. Oh. She was in the beret. I like that. Now, before Les Mis, <laughs> there was Sarava. When we broke the glass at my wedding, I had everybody yell, Sarava. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> Sarava was the very first role I created mm-hmm. on Broadway. Rosalia. 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 
and I named her Rosalia Felcha because I, because <laughs> I was the um, sister to Tova Felcha. So Rosalia Felcha, and I was ecstatic. I was making four hundred and thirty bucks a week. Nice. It was my first big Broadway thing. We never opened. We never officially opened. You never officially oh, opened. No, we previewed for five months. Perpetual previews. Wow. And the only reason I knew we had opened was because <laughs> I walked through the stage door. Eventually, critics started coming in. And you can't, eventually, they started to come in. Mm-hmm. I walked through the stage door, and there was a big basket of bright red, delicious apples. And the stage doorman said to me, Well, I guess we opened. We got the apples from Joe Allen. I guess we opened. Joe Allen's restaurant used to, it was a tradition to send every Broadway show that was opening a basket of of delicious red apples. Apples. So I walked in, there was a big bath. I guess we opened. (laughs) That was Sarava. What what was this about? It had a book by N. Richard Nash, Mm -hmm. who wrote The Rainmaker, with music by Mitch Lee, God rest his soul, mm-hmm. who told us that our show was a tax shelter for his La Mancha tour. No way. <laughs> now, well, I was young and naive, <laughs> and we were all standing on the stage. <laughs> we were all standing on the stage opening, and he said, you guys better run because you're a tax shelter for my La Mancha <laughs> tour. Like half laughing, and I looked around. And, what did I know? Yeah. I looked around at, at all of the gypsies, yeah. and they were all just like like rolling their eyes. Oh but gosh. yes, oh my so God. it didn't matter that we didn't make any money. But the crazy thing is, we had a commercial that played like twenty four seven. I was going to ask you about that. Well, that commercial finally got us an audience, and we built a real bridge and tunnel audience huh. towards the end of the run. We were packed towards the end of the run from that commercial that ran wow. 24-7. This is Donna Floor. Would you like to hear some of the words to uh, Actually, I was hoping you we were, were going to say that uh, or, or sing some, too. I mean, uh, you know, I... When I do a nightclub act, I'm going to do a really slow <laughs> version of Sarava because it's really, it's very moving. And it goes a little something like this. Sarava, Sarava, Sarava means hello, friend, I'm glad you're here. Sarava, Sarava, Sarava means that the coffee trees are full of beans this year. All the cinnamon trees are brighter and the coconut milk is whiter. Life is good, knock on wood, Sarava Bridge. Take my hand and we'll go far. Shall we dance from star to star? Join the band. That's right, Maracas. Yeah, I'm feeling it. I can feel the orchestration now. And take a spin or something. Come on in and sing this song. Here's my favorite. Sarava. (laughs) (laughs) Making me (laughs) choke. Sarava. Here we go. Sarava means we are lovers. What's your name? Sarava. Sarava. Have a hug, a kiss. It's all for free. What's yours? I'll have the same. If the world's going up in powder, then we better start singing louder. Sarava. 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 Now. The world goes up in power. Then we better start singing louder. They couldn't hear us. The band was so loud. We used to sing Salad Bar, Saravon. It became the joke of the industry. Everything was Sarava, Sarava, Sarava. My husband, who's a, a pianist, was subbing. 
the secret garden at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. He was learning the book to the secret garden. And the very last page of the book, the very last note, it says, Sarava. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> That's hysterical. I'd love to know how and why. Wow. <laughs> so you never really opened? Mm. How long did the show, how long was the show at the Mark Hellinger? For a couple of months? Oh, another good story about mm. that. Mm-hmm. And th- a, couple, a couple of months, and then they moved us to the Broadway. And our last day at the Broadway, I was standing on the fire escape with P.J. Benjamin. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the signs intersecting that said 52nd and Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I s- thought to myself, when am I ever going to be here again? And eight years later, I was doing Les Mis there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember when you were auditioning, what was your audition song? Did you have a standard? That, mm-hmm. What was it? Nobody Does It Like Me. Uh, yeah. Um, that was the standard. That was the standard audition You're song. And I Got Lost in His Arms. Mm-hmm. That was your ballad. Yeah. That was my ballad. I used to do Murder, He Says by Frank Lesser. Oh, And I yeah. Wish I Didn't Love You So. Those two songs together. There was a... Uh, a show called Perfectly Frank. That was a Frank Lesser review, and I didn't get the show, but I got two great songs because we had to learn Frank Lesser songs. Mm-hmm. So Murder, He Says, and I Wish I Didn't Love You So were my two. And then um, late in the late 80s when I auditioned for Les Mis, Where is the Warmth oh, from yeah. Baker's Wife? That was, oh, yeah. that was the great. I Dreamed a Dream of Its Time. Everybody, oh, yeah. was, everybody was singing that. It's a good one. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. All you, you know, singing actresses out there, forget Meadowlark. Everybody does Meadowlark. Yeah. Take, t- take a look at Where is the Warmth. It's beautiful. I'm, if you ever have to audition for Fontaine, sing yeah. Where is the Warmth. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hardly advice. ever play it's it. Great advice. I, I, no, people don't bring it in. I, I it's, very rarely play gorgeous. it. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's true. It's a great score. Mm-hmm. Baker's Life was just mm-hmm. a great score. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Isn't it crazy that Stephen Schwartz has never won a Tony? Isn't yes. that crazy? That is crazy. Yes. That is and, 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 and from <clears throat> 71 or 70 to right? now, I mean, like, Pippin, you know, Godsmile, like, come Magic on. show. Like, well done, rags. sir. Well I mean, done. Just rags. The, the score know, to Rags is so fantastic. So good. So good. We were just talking about it at Broadway Con because Joanna Glushak was in Rags right before she went into Les Mis with us. Oh, and really? I went to see it with her and Terry Mann and Judy Kuhn, the three that oh. went from Rags to Les Mis. Oh, God, what a good show. What was when, your uh, audition like? Do you recall auditioning oh, I, yes, for Trevor I, and John? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I was just talking about it at Broadway Con. Well, these guys, you know, Trevor and John, they were interested in actors. Yes. Serious actors. Our company was, they were great singers, but they were focused on the acting in the audition. So when I sang Where is the Warmth, they called me back, and then I had to learn I Dreamed a Dream. Mm-hmm. And I was a nervous wreck. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to be in Les Mis. Yeah. I was a nervous wreck. No matter how much I rehearsed it, I was a nervous wreck. And so I started to sing and crack on every single, but there are dreams that kind of be crack. So different now from what it seemed, crack, crack, crack. And I stopped my audition. I said, there were 13 people behind the panel, all the the designers, Cameron McIntosh, everybody. It was high pressure. Intimidating, yeah. Yeah. Intimidating, nerve-wracking. So... I stopped my audition and I said, I'm sorry, I'm just so nervous. And and Trevor Nunn came out from the panel mm-hmm. and he took me over to the side and he said so gently, we don't care about the singing. We've heard you sing. I just want to see you have a nervous breakdown as Fontaine. That's what I want to see. I want to see you have a nervous breakdown. And so I took my shoes off. I got down on the floor and I sang it like just spilled my guts out, yeah. Yeah. cracking all over the place, but they didn't care. Wow. 
they were concerned about the acting. That's all they were. You know, we, we were just talking about this. They bonded the company by doing improvisational exercises. Lots. Did you do improvs with your company? Yes. Like yes. it's like being in college again. Oh yeah, yeah. But it, there's something youthful and fun about it too. It, it, it levels the playing field, and then all of a sudden, it, and, and they're always about. Especially Trevor is all about company. It's about yes. everyone's together. Yes, was one. It's the yes. RSC kind of thing, right? Absolutely. That's what they did yeah. for um, Nicholas Nickleby. Yes. As a matter of fact, yeah. I used yeah. to tell my friends, I feel like I'm doing Nicholas Nickleby oh, yeah. with a turntable. That's well, they what they just come like. off of that, hadn't they? So it yes, was, they yeah, had. Yeah. So it was. So we did all these. The in- yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. So we did all these improvs. Did you do the famous um, prostitution exercises? Did you do those? No. <laughs> Everybody Ooh. always perks up at those. No. The, the pro- everything mm. that we did was an improv that led into the scene because they did not want to replicate the British company. They wanted a new company for That's New York. That's great. Mm-hmm. So it all came out of improvisation, and um, we didn't delve into the text for like a week. Wow. And... Uh, the, 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 <laughs> what we was were, the prostitution, the prostitution exercise? This was they split up the company, boys, you know, men and women. John Caird took the women into one room, and <laughs> Trevor Nunn took them. Uh, yes, Sorry, wow. uh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, look, look. We did the prostitution exercises for him, and whenever he wasn't around, Trevor would say, "Oh, John, he must be doing the prostitution exercises <laughs> with the women." But this is what we had to do. We had to, we had. He stood. He sat in front of us. We had to walk across in one by one. We had to walk across the room as a prostitute <clears throat> from 19th century France. And the women of that time were sickly. Oh, they yeah. were sickly, limb, you know, losing limbs. Yes. Teeth, uh, no teeth. Teeth, you know. no yeah, teeth. Yeah. Um, on their deathbeds, some of them. Um, drug addicts, you know, in really bad shape. So we had to walk across the room and seduce John with the one part of our bodies that still felt beautiful. That was our exercise. And then after we were done, we came into the room with the boys and did the same thing to the boys and had to seduce them. And the boys were told, they're going to come in and you are just going to respond to them however you respond to them in the moment. So in the lovely ladies scene, each sailor picks a certain woman. And that came out of the prostitution exercise. Wow. What they, a great way of working. It was what an incredible, a collaborative way of organic. working. To this, to this day, it was the most thrilling rehearsal period of my life. Yes. And we did, um, mm. <laughs> we did one, did you do the cartoon exercise? What was that? The cartoon character exercise? This is the one that truly bonded the company. This was the exercise that they used. There was a method to the madness. <sighs> they used it to make us feel foolish and humiliated. Although some people enjoyed it. We had to do our favorite cartoon character Mm -hmm. just like just do a little vignette for the entire company and there were Betty Boops and there were olive oils and and I felt so ridiculous and everybody was so nervous to do it but they did it to make us feel foolish and to make us take risks and feel comfortable in front of one another and then we did the typical college exercises where you know you had to be part of a machine we had a falling into each other's arms for trust we really bonded and it was and it was through these exercises and even when we were in DC the transition into Paris Beggars mm-hmm. hadn't been um, staged yet, and that came out of an improv. Huh. Wow. And they put it in our company, and they went back to um, London and put it in the London company. Oh my gosh! Wow, lots of st- we created lots of stuff. Yeah, 
What a cool way of working. Because, you know, it's been around for so long, you assume that it's always been this finely tuned machine. Yes. And to hear that it's so organic. And on your production, well, they were doing similar and things, right? And then the 10th right? anniversary, John, when John Carrot came back, he, he, they got rid of all staging for the ensemble. And they, they called it Free Les Mis. And the whole idea was if you mm. stay out of the way of the story, but whatever you do on stage, you could do three different things every single night. And it was about just keeping it fresh, fresh. and real. That's and so great. you could pick a different lady and lovely ladies every single t night, you oh, know, depending yeah. on where you felt. But I give them credit, I love those, that. both those guys, for, for always keeping a, a show that could easily be a machine. So for, and it started at day one. That's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible yeah. to me. I, I loved working with and them. And the trust yeah. that they had this huge <clears throat> hit in Europe and said, even though it's going to be a whole new, you know, they could have easily imposed. It was a hit with the people. It was not a critical hit. Nope, no, never, no, no, no. But audiences love it. But it was it. the people's show. You love know? it. And you know the story about Les Mis, how the words Les Mis came about? No, because I don't. the cab drivers in London couldn't pronounce Les Miserables. So if somebody wanted to go, they'd say, you want to see Les Miserables? Uh -uh. You know? You want to see Les Miserables, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so they started, They um. so they named it Les Mis, so that the cab drivers could... I didn't communicate know that. with their passengers. I have never heard that. That's this is amazing. The truth. They told us that. I like that. Now, before Les Mis, A, my name is Alice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell us about this. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was fun. That was fun. That was um, the woman's lib uh, <laughs> review. Um, and, and the people who uh, were responsible for some of the material went on to do incredible things. What? Marta Kaufman, David Crane went on to create Friends, Friends yeah. um, and other shows. Mm -hmm. Michael Scloff, who was our musical director, wrote the theme song to Friends. Richard Lagravenis wrote a piece for it, who wrote all these wonderful screenplays, Fisher King, and yeah. most recently, oh, yeah. last five years. Yeah. And Mira mm. was a oh. contributor. Um, the uh, And it was five ladies, and we did it at the top of the gate, and uh, it was it was um, empowering. It was it was the first show that I was in that was all women, mm -hmm. and it was yeah. a review, and it was a '90s show. It's really outdated now, <laughs> but it was you know Emily the MBA. That was one of the it's, it was it was just the, the career woman's um, yeah. show. But you and where was the top of the gate? Where was that located? The Village Gate is uh, no longer. It was on Bleecker Street. Hmm. A lot of shows started there. Scrambled Feet, Jacques Brel is alive yeah. and well. Oh, yeah. But we started at uh, at the American Place Theater, which is now Roundabout's Laura Pell's Theater. Oh, okay. We started down there in the basement, and we were reviewed really favorably, mm -hmm. super favorably by Frank Rich, and so they moved us to the top of the gate. We had a really nice long run there. Um, Jack A. Harry Jack, was an understudy. Yeah. Tanya Pinkins. Oh my gosh. Polly Penn. Yeah. yeah, these were understudies who moved. These up. are the understudies. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. How long were you with A. My Name Is Alice for? Uh, well, I don't Do you know. Remember? Not not close to a year. Close maybe, to a year. Maybe nine months. And then the audition came for Les Mis. No, then I left that show to do something called Amateur. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Sure is. Written by Winnie Holtzman. Oh, yeah. Lame, uh, um, Wicked, w- w- Wicked yeah. Winnie Holtzman. That's the first time I met Winnie. Um, and I did that. at. That's when I met Lonnie Price. Oh. And we did this show called Amateurs, which later became Birds of Paradise. Oh. With J.K. Simmons and Donna Murphy and all these I incredible people. I did not people. know that. But it was called Amateurs. We did it at the Cincinnati Playhouse. And it was shepherded. shepherded blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Shepherded, she- she- shepherded, she- shepherded, shepherded by La- by Arthur Lawrence. Oh, so the first time I auditioned was, it? was for um, Arthur Lawrence was for this show called Amateurs, and he was kind of brilliant. Was he? I, I, I w- one of my go to audition songs was Where or When. Mm-hmm. So I sang Where or When for him, and he said, "Very good, very good." And, you know, I sang it kind of traditionally, romantically, and he said, "Let's give it a different angle. I want you to sing it." Like you've just been in a coma, woken up from a coma, and there's a man standing before you, and you have no idea who it is. And it completely changes. It changes the song into a comedy number. Wow. It seems we stood and talked like, but I can't remember. <laughs> it turns into a whole different number. How brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And did he direct you then in amateur? No, he just was overseeing it because it came out of NYU Graduate Musical Theater oh, Lab. Right. Oh, okay. The writing program. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was you and Lonnie. Mm. Greg Edelman. And Greg Edelman. Donna Bullock. Wow. Wow. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Is there I a recording? Remember. I feel like Only the, the, Birds, of the Birds of Paradise. Paradise Only Birds of Paradise yeah. has a recording. Mary okay. Peel, Donna mm-hmm. Murphy. Oh, my gosh. Barbara Walsh. What a great, great group JK, of people. JK, yeah. yeah. Um, so then after that comes Les Mis. And all of that stuff is that yeah. yeah. Well, after that, I think it was Fiddler and then Lame is yeah Fiddler at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh Seal Civic with, Life with Opera. Kevin McCollum, is that right? Yes, was... I think he played the constable or something like that. <laughs> and 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 um, Kathleen uh, Rob Marshall and Kathleen yeah, Marshall were yeah. connected to it. Amazing! Wow. That's incredible. That's really incredible. That's when like CLO was doing. I oh, think yeah. I think Robbie was one of the dancers in it. Oh yeah, probably. I don't yeah. think Kathleen was in it, but she was around because they were still living at home. Kevin might have been the, the constable. <laughs> oh, Kevin McCullough. Oh, on the roof. His acting career, I love for it. sure. Um, <laughs> and then something very cool, singing on Donahue. Yeah. That's... Well, there was if you. We're in that green room for that show. It was like the bar scene in Star Wars because we were all in our costumes. Lori Beachman, you know, rest in peace. She yeah. was there as Grizabella. I was there as, and we were all in our costumes at oh eight, eight in the morning. And who was on this panel? Do you remember oh, who, who was? It was a yeah. theater episode, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was a theater episode, but I always confuse it with the count on with the City of Angels panel. Mm. Because the City of Angels panel was was Neil Simon and Robert Morse, the and Jackie Mason, and the writer from uh, Time Magazine, I want to say, <laughs> but I don't remember the panel for the. It was a theater I, panel for Les Mis as well. Yeah, I don't remember who panel. I confused them. And what I find so interesting on the panel is it's. I think if I'm remembering correctly, it's Joe Papp, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And Jackie Mason. Mm-hmm. And I think Neil Simon. But do they? I think they keep them out on stage while the performers. Yes, come out. they were watching us. So oh. while she's doing, I dreamed a You're dream. Them watch and there's Lori Beachman. There's you know Jackie Mason sitting there yeah. nodding at this cat. <laughs> yeah, walking around, which there's I find so. I don't know. That's I just right. Thought, so I Neil so was on the Neil Simon was on the the Les Mis show. Yes, with Joe Papp. Yes. And, um, and Jackie Mason, who right, and and Jackie Mason. <laughs> what a strange panel! Oh my god! He was trying to get him to do Hamlet at, yeah, the, yeah. at the public. Sure. Jackie Mason at the. <laughs> His Cymbeline is great, so if you get a chance, check that out. Um, and then, how does City of Angels come about? City of Angels just came about because my agent called and said, "I have an audition for you." The show was originally called Double Exposure. Mm. And my agent at the time said, I'm so excited about this. It's Michael Blakemore, who just directed Noises Off. It's Cy Coleman. It's Larry Gelbart. Larry Gelbart. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get seen. I had to fight to get seen. I could not get seen. And my agent wow. just said, just see her. You know, you know, she just effing see her. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Who was and, your agent, by um, the way? Well, at that time, the person who really pushed me to get in was Renee Jeanette, who's, mm. I think, in L.A. now. Mm-hmm. Um I went to my first audition, which was just in an office in the Minskoff building, and uh, I wasn't, I just read for Michael Blakemore, <laughs> and I got called back on the spot, Ooh. and then the the callback was in the theater, where back then we were allowed to sing two of our own songs. None my, of this, my, my. you must like, learn song. They didn't, they weren't giving out 30 songs 30 pages of sides. And, yeah. No, yeah. none of that. Yeah. It, um, I read... I think two Uli scenes, two Donna scenes. I sang Murder, He Says, and I sang More Than You Know. And then that was when Cy said, you know, before you leave, could you sing Nobody, you know, Nobody Does It Like Me. Tell me, did City of Angels change a lot from the rehearsal room to when it got on Mm -hmm. stage? No. Really? No. That show was so together. I think Larry Gelbart changed maybe three words. I read that script and thought, this is ready to open. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, I said, Larry, can I say listen here? Yeah. He said, sure, say listen. <laughs> listen, boss, I needed like a hook. Yeah, I say? yeah. So he let me say there. But um, there were little, little cuts in the music. I had a verse in in um, Buddy's song, that Donna had a verse in Buddy's song <laughs> that uh, that was cut. Yeah. Um, we really had to focus on the technical aspect of the show. We were in rough shape. Jeez. I mean, in, in City of Angels, there's a cue a scenic or a light cue every 20 seconds. And um, our first two weeks of previews, we were a hot mess. Was and there any out-of-town tryout? No. You just went right right to New York? Wow. No. And I had friends come and wow. went, oh, I don't know. Oh, really? And they, and because we hadn't found our rhythm, because scenically we were a mess. Um, and they tried to, the producers wanted to close us because they just wanted to get a right money maker. They wanted, yeah. Wow. yeah. They wanted to close up. Close it. And Michael Blakemore said, over my dead body. And after two weeks, the second two weeks, we found our groove. And, of course, we were the big yeah. hit that we were. Yeah. yeah. Um, and won all these Tony Awards. And and they closed the show at 80% capacity. Why? Because they wanted Smokey Joe's in there. Oh, my. Really? God. Talk about political. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. I, w- I would tell you a funny thing about the staging of um, the, the, the magic behind the quick costume change um, in the middle of Count On Me from Uli Donna. Yes. It came out of the genius of Michael Blakemore. Mm-hmm. 
And the song starts with Uli section that's all in black and white. Mm-hmm. So I had a trench coat on, and I had underneath a, a, a gray nightgown. But on um, the front part of the nightgown, there was a panel of these flowers, black, because Michael thought, how are we going to make this change as quick as possible for you um, costume-wise? And I'll tell you about the scenic change in a minute, but costume-wise, um, I took off, you know, bar- barking up the wrong damn tree. You can always count on me. Lights out. I I had already put my coat while I was singing on the hanger. And um, these little panels that were in black for the black and white section that came on the V-neck part of the nightgown were snapped on. So I snapped them off and stuck it under the pillow. And underneath the black flowers were brightly colored flowers. Brilliant. Genius of Michael Blakemore. Now, while this was happening, I got in the bed, Uli's bed, which turned into Donna's bed. So, and it happened, if it happened in more than, you know, 15 seconds, the moment was gone. So, sure. so it was rehearsed within an inch of its life. So I would get in the bed, get under the cover so that the stagehands could do what they need to do. They, the, the headboard flipped around <laughs> to color. So the first thing that happened, lights out, the first thing that happened was these, I got under the covers and these two hands from the stagehand would come through the headboard and take the gray from the black and white section, gray blanket, through the headboard. Underneath was a pink colored blanket. And then they flipped everything around. They flipped... um, They flipped the lights around. They flipped the headboard around. And when the lights came up, everything was in color, and the Mm. audience lost their mind. Amazing. But for for, but (laughs) Michael had to figure out that was you know that was all Michael. It was Michael's idea because to make it one side of the stage black and white and the other side color that was not written in. Michael. Oh really? Not written in. Michael. That's what Michael wanted to do. What was it like working with Michael Blakemore? A dream. Mm. Yeah. A dream. He's like he's like John Cleese. He's really he's he's elegant and sophisticated and he's got a wicked sense of humor. Mm. And he would just let you do he, he wasn't controlling or micromanaging. He would let you do it and then he would kind of edit around you or come in to you and say, you know, you can you try this, just try this. But he was he he knew exactly what he wanted, so he cast really really well Mm. um and i did have a problem with the choreography of you can always count on me the choreographer at the time wasn't a minimalist really Mm. so he had me do it like shirley mcclain and if my friends could see me now and he had me jump up on the bed at the end and i asked him why and he he said because it's because of it's show business he didn't he didn't understand (laughs) he didn't understand we're telling a story here you know we're really telling a story here so I was in tears because I knew the number was um, how good it was and that it was being ruined. And I went to Michael in tears and I said, this is what's happening. He said, no, 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 no. We can't have that. And he directed it. He directed the song from start to finish as a monologue. And you got a Tony Award. Out of all nice. this, I did. It was and a well-deserved oh, thank you very Tony much. Award. Out of all this, thank you. I'm very proud of of that award for that role. I I really am. And then after City of Angels, you did uh, Falsettos. You went to Falsettos yeah. for a little bit. That has a real history to it. I actually saw Bill Finn this past summer because I did my show at at Barrington yeah. Stage, and he oh, was nice. there. And 
Um, right after Les Mis, they did the very first reading of Falsetto Land upstairs at a little theater, tiny, tiny little theater directed by James, James Lapine mm-hmm. um, at Playwrights Horizon. Mm-hmm. So I got asked to play Trina oh, at wow. a little reading of um, – oh, I'm sorry. Go back. Falsetto Land came after March of the Falsettos. I wasn't in March of the Falsettos. Okay. I saw it with the original company. So when when Bill Finn wrote Falsetto Land, we did a reading all the way, all the way down at West Bank Studio. And I mm-hmm. did it with all the original guys from March of the Falsettos. And Mary Testa was in it. And I played Trina in that, in Falsetto Land. When Bill decided to put the two shows together, Falsetto March of the Falsettos and Falsetto Land, and call it Falsettos, I got called to do a reading of it and to play Trina. Mm-hmm. Um, at Playwrights Horizons. This is the hardest show I've ever sung. Oh, really? Yeah. It's very hard singing. It's yeah. a lot of belting. You really... Into the ground, all that, yeah, it's just breaking And breaking numbers. down. Yeah. And it's constant singing and constant, you know, f- mixing and flipping and all that stuff into your head voice. And yeah. a lot of negotiating yeah. in that singing. For me, because I don't sing like Carolee Carmelo. Right. So <laughs> for me, I had to negotiate it. So we did that. Yeah. And... And then when they did Falsettos on Broadway, they had taken a a company. They took Barbara Walsh from a company that Graziel Danielle had directed. Yes, I remember that. Um, But when they replaced her, they just asked me to do it. And I went in and I did it for a month. I actually did it with with, uh, Mandy Patinkin as Marvin. Wow. The Randy and Mandy show. Well, <laughs> Randy and Mandy. I did it with, with he was an intense Marvin. Oh, I, I, I could have bet. He was Imagine. very intense. Wow. You had to be careful because you never knew when a menorah was going to fly afro- across the stage. You really <laughs> oh, had, he, he was very on fire and in yeah. the moment and absolutely was so present. And, and, mm. and I, I, I loved working with him. Um, How long were you with it? Just 10 weeks. But wow. still. Ooh, and I went right intense. from that into... Uh, um, Laughter on the 23rd floor. Tell uh-huh. us about Laughter on the 23rd floor, an original Neil Simon play, Jerry Zach's directing. Oh, my God. And, and a, play, a, cast, a play, not a musical. A play, not a musical. I mean, yeah. I had didn't, it was my first play on Broadway. I had done some regional work, but uh-huh. that was my first play on Broadway. I was working with the funniest men in, in the oh. world. <laughs> Tell us I, about it. I just couldn't believe it. I, I remember we were out of town and we were at a note session, mm-hmm. and I was sitting next to, to Neil Simon. I just, I just like took a moment to just take this in, just yeah. take this in right now. I was sitting next to him, and, and Jerry was giving some notes at about about a particular line, and I turned to Neil and I said, "You're really funny," <laughs> and he said, "I hope so." I hope so. <laughs> but here's a funny thing about oh about laughter on the twenty third floor with. Nathan Lane and mm. J.K. Simmons and John Slattery and Marklin Baker, yep. just the funniest, most adorable men in New York. And when we were out of town, the response was, Neil Simon said it was the biggest response he had ever gotten on one of his plays mm. from the audience. Wow. As far as laughter is concerned. Yeah. And during pre- previews, people were hysterically laughing. And then the review from the New York Times came out that basically said it wasn't funny and that the jokes didn't land. And for about a month, it was like nothing because that is the power of the printed word. They were told it wasn't funny, and that's how they came in. And it took us a month, about a month, to get them back. How did you get any work done with all of those funny guys? Jerry Zaks, man. He cracks the whip. whip. 
we 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 got the work done. What's it like getting directed by Jerry Zaks? I listen to everything that he says because when it comes to comedy, nobody directs comedy like Jerry Zaks. And he the most the two most valuable lessons I've ever learned in acting, and I tell him that every time I see him, and he goes, "Oh, darling, darling, that's so nice. That's so nice." But make the positive choice, get to the end of the line. That's that is Jerry's Wow. Those are the mantras. Make the positive choice. Get to the end of the line. <laughs> um, otherwise, when you don't get to the end of the line, the audience gets ahead of you. Yes. In comedy, specifically. And making the positive choice just doesn't mean happy. Yeah. What it means is that you you make the choice that will open, let's say we're working on a song. For instance, I Dreamed a Dream is is such a trap in it being a pity party mm-hmm. and self-pitying. And with with every song, you have to be at a completely different place at the end of the song than you are at the beginning of the song. Mm-hmm. So when students come in with that song and it's just, there's a sameness to it and just yes. this, this feel sorry for me, so my life is terrible, mm-hmm. so awful from the beginning. The opening of that song, There Was a Time, is is just getting yourself to a place where you can remember the possibility. Mm-hmm. And 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 that you're and that takes you into different areas. So yeah. so so the positive choice can mean being curious rather than cynical. Yes. Or being incredulous rather than doubtful. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the glass half Full yeah. choice. Totally. Yeah. And when you start that way, it takes you to other places. When you start at the end of the song, you have nowhere to go. When the right. beginning of, of of it's is the same sentiment of you have to get to now life has killed the dream I dreamed. Yeah. You have to get there. So Jerry Zach's taught me that. Wow. And I That's will amazing. Be forever grateful to him. And you've worked with Nathan Lane twice, yeah. is that right? Cool. <laughs> Once and on an amazing recording of Do Re Mi. Isn't that a charming which is recording? So good. You guys are so good on that. I, I love working with him. He's another one who's so live and he's so right, right, right there for you. And it's just like a great tennis match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and here's a great Nathan story. When um, we were doing Laughter on the Twenty Third Floor, Mike Nichols and and Diane Sawyer went up to his dressing room. Um, we all knew that they were out there and mm-hmm. went up to his dressing room and and then at the after they left Nathan came down to my dressing room and he said you know Mike Nichols and Diane Sawyer were just in my dressing room and they just offered me a movie and that movie was Birdcage, Birdcage. wow <laughs> wow I was the first person to know oh my <laughs> that Nathan Lane was going to be in Birdcage so, that's so cool so, uh, and then we worked together in, in Do Re Mi and, oh. and um you know, as long as there's a mutual respect between you and Nathan, everything's fine. If there's not a mutual respect, it, it can be tough. Got it. Because he's tough on people that he works with. He demands a lot. How do you create a show in a rehearsal room when there's cameras everywhere? Which was oh. Moon Over, Moon over yeah. Buffalo. Yeah. Which is more, I think the documentary has had a longer life than the yeah. play. That's right. Moon over Broadway? Yeah. Is it? yeah. Yes. Moon over Broadway. I tell everybody I know, if you want to go into show business, please make sure you watch this documentary first. Because it's about backstage and it's also about how unkind the business can be. Hmm. I was very aware of the cameras, so I was a good girl. Yeah. There was a point. What happens, though, is when you're in the heat of something, like in the movie, there's that argument between Phil Bosco yep. and Tom Moore. When you're in the heat of the moment, you forget. You you literally forget that they're there. 
and it winds up on film. Yeah. Wow. And I tried to make myself, in watching this, I tried to make myself really conscious of what I said. It broke my heart because when that movie, when the documentary came out and they were saying unkind things about her and yeah. how dare they because she was the reason people were coming. That's right. And if you hire Carol Burnett, you can't expect her to, to be Marion Seldes or Eva Legallienne yeah. or some great dom. You, you're going to get Carol Burnett. Yeah. So that's why you're hiring her. So let her do her thing. And all through rehearsal, they were trying to get her to be what she wasn't. And that's all in the documentary. And yeah. and then when she did her first preview and she did her she, and she did her thing yeah. and the audience went crazy. And it's all in the documentary. They say to her, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what <laughs> yeah, you're doing. Now, now. But it broke my heart because yeah. the first time I saw the documentary, I was sitting with her and she just Oof. grabbed my hand. Oh, with her. Oh. And she said, I had no idea they felt that way about me. And it, and it was horrible. And, I ha- and, and at subsequent screenings, when people would talk, I would defend her yes. and um, really go after the, um, the director and the writer for saying those things when they know full well that you hire Carol Burnett, you're going to get Carol yeah. Burnett. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of my favorite actors, Philip Bosco. Mm. What's it like... Working with him, he, 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 he's he's never acting. You can never you can never catch him <laughs> acting. You can never catch him acting. Anything. I mean, I had that scene with him on the balcony where he was drunk. It was like working with a drunk. Yeah, wow. I had no idea he was acting. I thought Phil hit the sauce before. <laughs> he, he's wrong he, method. He's an incredible actor. Wow. He and I was do. just watching Working Girl, and he plays the boss <laughs> in that. And he's so good in that. Comedy, drama, <laughs> classics, just versatile. He does it all. And you're right. You never. He's like Spencer Tracy. You never catch them yeah. acting. Well, actually, before we go off Moon of Brooklyn, is there anything that you've learned in watching either Mr. Bosco or Miss Burnett that you now pass on to your students? Mm. Any little lessons that were gleaned? The work ethic. Mm-hmm. That you must have a great work ethic and respect for what you do and respect for everything that came before you mm. because you wouldn't be here if they weren't here especially my my um you know the younger people who grow up in the entitled generation they think they can become stars overnight because of what they see on television right. so there's a work ethic that's that's missing and that a little bit of kindness goes a long way and, and 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 that really is the most important don't be a jerk yeah. just if you're if you're a jerk a jerk nobody's going to want to no. <laughs> play with you True. be gracious yeah be it's... gracious and carol whenever we would walk out on the street and she had her sunglasses on anyone who came up to her she always took her sunglasses off and looked them right in the eye i learned that lesson just kindness small acts of kindness and by the way, yeah. I love that you go from musical to play to yeah. musical. Thank I mean, you. that's amazing because oh, a lot I'm of different very, styles I'm of music. Very right lucky. Yeah. I, no, I'm lucky Cold that Porter. way. That people was that a conscious be... choice on your end to say, you know, I don't only want to do. Yes. Yeah. 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 And you know, it takes a while, especially after Les Mis. It takes a while for them to see you as an actor because when they else. just hear you singing all the time, they think that's all you can do. I went out for my very first pilot season right after Les Mis. Mm-hmm. And remember Murphy Brown, the show? Oh, yeah, Brown. I love Murphy Brown. I went and I auditioned for a role in Murphy Brown, and the casting director looked at my resume, at that time it was mostly musicals, and said, <laughs> I see you've done mostly musicals. Have you ever acted before? <sighs> And I yep. said, Ooh, well, this wow. was a typical response. Yeah. So I didn't get defensive. I, I said, well, I am an actress, 
And if you give me a chance to read, I will prove that to you. That's what I said. And I read and I got called back. I didn't get the job because I was too young. But that's that's the line. A little stigma. Yeah. Good for that, you. And, and yes, stigma. Yes. That, that, uh, there's a bit of a stigma. So you kind of yeah. have to break through that. But Les Mis did open some doors just because Indeed. of how, you know, just the, the, the size the of scope, it. Yeah. 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 Uh, high Society? We didn't last very long, but there were some beautiful songs in it, and in, particu- in, in particular, my solo called He's a Right Guy, which Paul Germagnani and I yeah. developed together, and, and it was his idea to slow it down and make it a song for Liz, because it was originally oh. sung. I think the producer Lauren Mitchell found it, huh. and Lauren Mitchell I know from the L.A. company of City of Angels. Oh. She played Alora. Um, and I know her from even before that, from 1977 or something like that. We were in non-equity dinner theater Godspell together. But but the yes. song, He's a Right Guy, was originally recorded by Ethel Merman. He's a right guy. So, so, so that's what it originally sounded like. And it was somebody's idea, maybe Paul, Paul Gemignani to just slow it down. Mm. So we worked on that together. And it's a beautiful okay. song that no one ever does. When did a class act enter oh, into your class life? Act. Yeah. A class act happened through Lonnie Price, mm-hmm. my dear friend Lonnie Price. Actually, Marty Bell said there's this show that we like you to do. We're going to do a reading down at Musical Theater Works, and we'd love for you to do it. I'm going to send you a cassette of Ed Kleban singing this song called The Next Best Thing to oh. Love, and I think you need to hear the song. And I heard the song and said, I'll do it, based on the song. Really? Just I, on the song alone? Just based on the song. Wow. And Lonnie, I trusted Lonnie. Sure, of course. And so we did, the, we did a little reading with Peter Scolari as Ed, oh. and then later went on to do it at Manhattan Theater Club, where they auditioned a bunch of people and they couldn't find, and Lynn Meadows secretly wanted Lonnie to play Ed the whole time. Really? <laughs> so, so ne- an, another wow. gem, No One Ever Sings Next Best Thing to That's Love. Great and song. it's no, a, not a great one. gorgeous song. And you played Sophie? Sophie. Sophie. And who was Sophie in Ed Cleveland's life? Um, a fr- I, I don't know if it's a fictional character or not. And I should know this, but it was a long time ago, so I don't remember. Mm. But Eddie was Sophie's friend they they had had a romantic relationship but she was the one who always called him on his shit yeah. excuse me no, <laughs> but no, she no, was no. but she was the one who always called him on his stuff and um she was not in show business like everybody else in his life so she could be totally honest with him um did you meet any of Ed Kleban's family did they were they involved on this and well his f- former well his girlfriend Linda Cohen who wrote the par who wrote the play with Lonnie she was around. She was around. All, she the, was, all the time. She was yeah. around. Do yeah. you st- is the song still part of your act, The Next Big Thing to Love? Do you ever um, get that? I haven't done it in I – ha- I, I'm not able to do it in Made in Brooklyn because it wasn't written. Ed wasn't born in Brooklyn, so it wasn't – Of right. course. It doesn't right. fit the format, but I've sung it other, other times. Other venues. Oh, you do it beautifully. It's, Thank you. So, so many nice Beautiful. clips of you doing it. Thank you. Uh, Fiddler. Yeah. Golda. Golda and Fiddler. You come yeah. full – Full circle full with that. Circle, full circle. Full circle with that. Um, what a beautiful production. What, I yes. Was completely rocked by that production. Oh, thank Just you. Yeah. I'm so setting, happy David to hear Laveau you was, say oh, that. Oh, gosh. And Alfred really Molina was, yeah. that I'll direction. I'll never forget seeing the, the, the clip that of hit. the tradition on the, on the award show and I, the passion. I never felt like it was so 
contemporary. In, 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 but, you know, in, in, the, in the act, it wasn't, because sometimes traditional musical theater, you can be, I don't know, in my young state, but it was so visceral and real, and it was and so it, moving. A little bit controversial, if I remember. A rem- little. I mean, if I remember a correctly. A little, and yeah. it's all just such nonsense. Um, yeah. Because they said that our show wasn't Jewish enough. Um, and the re- and and I always Great. wondered why why because not everybody in the show is Jewish. Truth be told, we had the same amount of Jewish people in our show that they had in the original company, right. yeah. which was uh, told to me by by Jerry Bach. Mm-hmm. Um, why of, wasn't it Jewish as if enough? Had to count yeah. how many Jews is in a show. I mean, it come wasn't, on, it, you know, it, it was nonsense, and and it wasn't shticky. It wasn't like all of the other no, shows. I, there yes. was nothing shticky about it. I mean, we I played it like a real person and and Fred most definitely played him like a real person. So we got into trouble. I guess people who think being Jewish is like is like being on the Upper West Side and ordering at Zabar's, that that's what we're supposed to sound like. And so we got we took a lot of heat from that. Um Mostly yeah. the times, all the other reviews <clears throat> were really good, and boy, did our audiences love it. Oh, yeah. Our audiences yeah. went crazy for it. But it's the same thing. I saw the, the show now, and it is beautiful. And I went with all the ghosts, and we all sure. sat there and watched it yeah. together. And there were things that I missed from our show, and there were new things that I saw, and I thought, wow. I thought it was beautiful, mm-hmm. and there's nothing sticky about it. They're not getting in trouble for yeah. it. What's it like working with Alfred Molina and your brilliant director, David, David Laveau? Well, first, Alfred Molina, everybody who knows Alfred calls him Fred, Fred. has spoiled me rotten. He's oh. my favorite leading man. Hmm. And I keep trying to get him to do another show together. To, so let, let's do a play together. Let's do something together. Please, let's do something together. He has spoiled me for life. He, we just have a great chemistry, and we're good friends. And And it was from... The first audition that we had that chemistry. They brought you guys in together to... Well, the first audition, um, Fred was there. He was behind the panel with everybody else. And I sang, we didn't have to sing from Fiddler. Um, I sang a ballad. I I sang a torch song, actually, Mm. because I didn't want to... A Cy Coleman torch song. Oh. Mm. I didn't want to show them the funny, because everybody knows that Golda is funny. But the second half of her second act is very dramatic with all the loss. So I thought, I'm going to sing a song about loss. So I sang something written by Cy that nobody knew, because it's a trung song called Come Summer, Mm. written by him and Carolyn Lee. And Fred later confided in me that he wanted me to play Golda right after I sang that song. <laughs> That's great. And then at the callback, we we were just asked to read with Fred, and and um, Fred and I had a great chemistry. And then because David was just David, he needed to see it one more time. But it was very informal. I just met with him in a room, and we read together wow. just to solidify it with him. Sure. David just inspires. He he comes and he gives you he do, he. He doesn't talk, we talk a little bit about the scene, but then he doesn't block. He lets you find your way around. And um, for instance, in the last scene where Golda has to come on and tell Tevya that that Chava is married and was married by a priest, he said, you come from there and you come from there and just do it as you feel it. The trust. Well, yeah. The, the trust. trust. I'm yeah. telling you, it's the trust. And the thing about David is, he says, being in our world, the minute you walk through the door, he knows if you're in his world or not. Yeah. 
there were there was someone who auditioned before me who was devastated when she came out because she was cut off, and she was an experienced, been around <laughs> actress, sure. and she was cut off. And I, I later learned from Kevin Stice that David, he just knows, he, he is very intuitive, and he just intuits right away if you're in in the world or not. Wow, that's incredible. So He, he created a great world. Yeah, boy, did yeah. he create a great Beautiful. world. That's really great. We'll One last question for you, and then we'll, yeah. we'll let you go. The Tigers come at night. So many students have asked, what exactly does that, does that mean? So let me ask you, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I don't think no, I, I I kid a little bit, but I you can't take it literally, and I also think it has something to do with the translation. Yeah, the it's the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder. It's all the you know the boys mm-hmm. wooing you who are just going to leave you. They come at night with their voices soft as thunder. I mean, they're whispering into your ear, but ultimately they're going to devastate you. Thank you. That no. just answered, I think, so many you students' You can't questions. take it literally. Yeah. yeah. But it's like poetic. tigers, because tigers pounce. That's right. Yeah. You know, if you want to get literal about yeah. it. Oh. Oh. Well, thank you. I, I feel I feel smarter. I, feel <laughs> I do, smarter. too, because I never said that out loud. <laughs> um, we have been talking to the delightful Randy Graff. Please check out soon her. Jackie Mason will be doing Cymbeline together. <laughs> So make sure you catch that in her club act. Don't forget, please, check us out on our Facebook, uh, Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And, and on Instagram at Behind the Curtain. And on Twitter at Broadway Curtain. We have a lot of social media, and we social have one media. follower. It's my season. mom, and she loves it. So. <laughs> Randy, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you Till next time. Great. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.